Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. You have uh, doubtless heard your fair share of get-rich-quick schemes, no? Well, in Jesus' day, it wasn't so much get-rich-quick, it was get a kingdom quick. And Jesus rejected the four main ways that people were looking, approaches that people were using to establish a new kingdom. He comes on the scene, and there is a group of people that are seeking to establish a kingdom. They are called the Sadducees. It is a group of aristocracy. These are landed people. These are money people. This is old money people. And they feel like the best way to establish a kingdom and get in charge is to seize, and they did, the high priesthood. And so sometime after the building of the second temple, the Sadducees arise, and they pass it on father to son to grandson, the high priesthood. And with the high priesthood comes this enormous power in the temple, but also there is secular power, and very often the high priest ruled and reigned as secular princes and kings. You encounter those Sadducees in the pages of the New Testament, and their method was, let's seize power through political connections, through our money, and they had plenty of it. Jesus rejects that. There's the Pharisees. You know a bit about them too. They wanted to establish a kingdom, but they went about it a little bit different way. These were people who decided that the best way to stay in power was to erect a lot of walls by putting together a lot of rules, divide people into different classes and groups and subgroups and tribal things, and the insiders and the outsiders. And so they built walls and they made lists, and there's nothing in the world wrong with making a list for your behavior as long as you don't expect me to live by your list. But they were list makers and wall builders. That was the Pharisees' path to power. Jesus rejected that. There was another group called the Essenes. Now, the word Pharisee means the separated ones, but the Essenes were even more separated because not only did they build walls, they removed themselves from society. They went to live in caves and places in the desert near the Dead Sea. They were so afraid of being contaminated by this world, and they were sure that the apocalypse was just around the corner, and only those that were very pure like themselves would be the inheritors of the new kingdom. And so they withdrew to the desert places, the Dead Sea area, and you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was some of their work. They squirreled their best work away in caves, awaiting that long, distant apocalypse that would take place. Jesus rejected that too. He said the way to power is not to leave this world. There's one final group, the zealots. The zealots were activists. The zealots were haters of Rome. The imperial power that had its boot on the throat of the Jewish people and the homeland of the Jewish people. The Romans were despised by the zealots and so they did everything they could as anarchists to undermine Rome, they would slit throats and blow things up. They were the terrorists of their day. It's interesting 
that Jesus goes out of his way and chooses a zealot for one of his inner circle, but he does. But even in choosing Simon the zealot, he rejects that approach as well. So the Sadducees know, the Pharisees know, the Essenes know, the zealots know. And Jesus starts a different kind of kingdom. He begins a backward kingdom where things are upside down. We're part of that kingdom. Now, most kingdoms, as you know, have flags. And flags have tremendous meaning. People will rally around a flag like they won't around anything else. And we, in our nation, we do our best to protect that flag. It's not to touch the ground. It's not to be disrespected. And we get outraged when we see people showing a disrespect. We received a, an incredible gift this last week. I want to show it to you. It is a flag of our nation. We put it in a nice display box. And in a moment, I'm going to ask uh, Ed if you'll take it back there and lay it on the table so folks can see it on the way out. But this uh, comes to us by way of one of the men in our church, Anthony Bangloy. Anthony is in the service, and he is stationed right now in Syria, Jordan, the Middle East. And it's pretty secret what he's doing. His mom has tried her best to pry out of him what he's up to, but he won't spill. But uh, Anthony sent us this flag. Now, what makes this, what makes this very special, and the reason we put it in a box is not just it's a beautifully crafted flag. This isn't just a printed one. This is a stitched one. It's embroidered. It's beautiful. But what makes it so special is that this flew in a Strike Eagle combat plane in a mission over Syria and Iraq. Let me read you the, the certificate that came with it. The 336 Expeditionary Fighter Squadron, United States Air Force, this flag was proudly flown in an F-15E Strike Eagle on a combat sortie over Syria and Iraq in support of Operation Inherent Resolve and is presented to Fairfax Assembly of God. Date flown November 29, 2017, and it, it's signed by a couple of officers. And so we're going to put it back there and put it on permanent display somewhere here. But that's a symbol, isn't it? That's a flag, and it's an important one, and Ed, if you'll just set it back there so on the way out we can all see it, enjoy it. Kingdoms have flags. Great nations have flags. Jesus has a kingdom. And I was thinking one day if Jesus' kingdom had a flag, if his backward kingdom, where high is low and low is high and rich is poor, and you learn to love your enemies. And the best kind of religion is irreverence. In this backward kingdom, if, if Jesus' kingdom had a, had a flag, what would be on that flag? You know what I came up with? I decided it would have a basin and a towel. And not one of your good guest towels. And not a terribly expensive basin. If you're a Bible reader... Basin and towel rings with you. It resonates with you and it takes you back to that last night Jesus enjoys on the planet. He's enjoying a dinner, a Passover meal. That time of year when you commemorate the slaughter of the Passover lamb. And the blood is placed on the doorposts and 
when the blood is placed on the doorpost, the death angel will pass over and the worst will not happen to you because a lamb has been sacrificed on your behalf. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And in a few short hours, his blood will be splashed not on doorposts, but on a cross. And the effect will be the same. But before that begins to happen, he's enjoying the Passover meal with his friends when a very awkward situation presents itself. Somebody, whichever one of the fellows was making the arrangements, completely forgot, protocol ignored, major social faux pas, they did not get somebody to wash the feet of the 13 people in that room. And it became very obvious probably because of the odor. The odor of the sewer, the street, was overpowering. And nobody would want to wash those feet. So the Bible says that in the middle of the meal, Jesus rises, takes off his his outer garment. And he knows something in his mind. He knows who he is. And knowing who he is, it allows him to do what he does. He, he, knows, he knows that he has come from the Father. He knows that he's returning to the Father. He knows that all power has been put in his hands. He knows who he is. And the Bible says that knowing all of that, he got up from the meal. He took off his jacket, the outer garment, and he tied a towel around his waist and he got a basin and filled it with water and he went one by one and he washed those filthy feet. Now these feet are dirtier than your feet get in a typical day. It was filthy. It was a disgusting job to have to do, but Jesus knelt down at each one and he did it. And there were a couple of cases where they protested and said, no, no, I, I, I'll wash the feet. I'll wash your feet, Jesus. But he says, no, I'm going to do it. He was already involved in it. I'm going to do it. And he does it. He finished it. They didn't understand what he was doing. And so at the end of washing all of their feet, he asked them a question. Do you understand what I've just done to you? Now what do that basin and towel do to us? Well, for one thing, they lower us. You see, you, you cannot stand up and serve. And so the basin and towel, the banner of Christ, those symbols of His kingdom. They lower us. To use a basin and towel, you can't stand up. Years and years ago, I went through some training. Some of the most valuable training I've ever gone through on how to work with young boys. And one of the catchphrases was, I've never forgotten it, that a man never stands quite so tall as when he stoops to help a boy. You can't stand up. You can't look down on somebody and serve them. You have to get down with them. You have to get lower than to be a real servant. And the basin and the towel of Christ, they lower us. You've got to get out of yourself in order to serve. 
There's another thing the basin and towel do is they force us to kneel. Jesus had to kneel to do this important work, this necessary work. You, you can't serve and not kneel. You can't serve and not pray. You've got to be a person of prayer or your service will wear you out. You will quit. But if you will pray along with serve, you can serve a long time. And if you don't care particularly who gets the credit, there's an awful lot of good you can do. But if you serve and you don't pray, you will only get bitter. And that's happened to an awful lot of people an awful lot of times. They start off with high hopes of being a servant of Christ, but without prayer they grow bitter inside and resentful inside. That's why many people can't recite what they have done lately, but they can tell you what they've done a long time ago for Jesus, but not lately. They justify why they aren't doing, why they aren't serving now, but it's all because of bitterness. They served, but they didn't pray. But when you think about the towel and the basin, they force us to our knees. They force us to a position of prayer. So wed your serving to prayer. See with the very eyes of Christ those you serve. And you'll be set free from many things. You'll be set free from squandering your resources. And you'll be set free from pride. And when you serve, you kneel to serve. You'll be set free of criticism of other people and self-criticism and self-reproach. You'll be set free. The basin and towel They also make us invisible. You've heard of the seven deadly sins. Anger, pride, lust, so on, so on. But at the top of that list, the first of the seven deadly and the deadliest is pride. Pride is where we must be seen. And pride can be very sneaky Pride can even lead you to do very good things for a very bad reason. And the very bad reason is you want to be well thought of, you want to be noticed. It's good what you do, but why you do it is pride, and that's very deadly. Pride can sneak up on you that way. But the basin and the towel, they strip that away. Jesus is taking the place of a very retarded child of a developmentally disabled child, because that's the only people that you could even pay to do this nasty job. Yet the Son of God Himself, the Creator of the universe, He kneels with basin and towel. And He becomes invisible because basin and towel strip all that pride away, serving in the lowest possible way and serving those who have no means of repaying. causes you to take a back seat And when we do that, then Christ is seen. I'm not seen, Christ is seen. The basin and towel do that. The basin and towel do one more thing. The basin and towel make us like Jesus, whom we follow. Jesus ends this exercise, for some of them exercise under their protest, and he realizes, you don't realize what I'm doing. Later on you'll understand, but when he finishes, he says, do you Understand what I've done for you. Do you? And then he tells them, Now that I, your Lord, 
have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do what I've done for you. We're never more like Jesus than when we're serving. Those that cannot repay us. So it makes us like Jesus, the basin and the towel do. Let me begin to wrap this up. When I look at a story like this, I I look at it from a certain angle. Most often, I look at it from a, a pastoral standpoint. In other words, what is this all about for you? Well, it's about you. This story is about you. Jesus appears in the form of the lowest of the lowest of the servants. Anybody peeking in the keyhole that night and seeing the king of the universe kneeling and washing the filth off of feet would have said, what a loser. What a failure. So from a pastoral standpoint, what is this story saying? What is it all about? It's all about you. Because there's some people here today, you never talk about this, but there's some here today, it tumbles over in your brain occasionally, that you haven't accomplished at this point in life what you thought you should. And it's hard not to compare yourself with other people. Even other believers that have done great things for God But the things you've done seem so humble. And it's hard not to compare yourself with other people. And that's an exhausting exercise. Some of you hear the clock ticking. You feel like you've not accomplished in life the good that you could have. And and it's like you're at the end of a dead end. and, And all you're facing now is a padlocked door. But stop and think. You can hear the whispers of failure sometimes in the night hour. But stop and think about it. As a child of God, you have not yet begun to live. Life hasn't started yet. Not really. Even if you lived to 99, all of your life is still ahead of you after that. You haven't begun to live yet. Coming to the end of your life in this flesh is of very little significance, really, compared to eternity. And what's important is not simply what I have done, but what kind of person have I become? This universe that we know, the only one we really know, it's important, but it's only one part of the kingdom that God is developing. The here and now is only one part. And the now risen Son of God is preparing you, listen, to one day see Him and be with Him and to see Him in all of the stunning surroundings He originally enjoyed with the Father and the Spirit. He's preparing you to see that. That's what this life is about. It's for that reason that the book of Exodus and the final book, Revelation, calls us kings and priests. 
were kings and priests. And how well God can trust you with a few things right now, that molds your character. It builds in you the kind of character that will be needed for that day when He trusts you with many things, when He trusts you with unbelievable images, with insights and joys, and the creation and the care of everything that's good will be in your control. That's His plan. And he's developing you so he can release you to do that. He builds in you the kind of character that's needed for that day when he trusts you with many things. And he entrusts you everything that is good. That's the definition of joy. See, here's God's plan. This is why following Jesus really matters. Because in following, you become the kind of person, the kind of character that can be set free in God's bigger universe to finally do what you really want to do. And what I really want to do will then match perfectly what God wants me to do. (laughs) That's why we follow Jesus. That's why as followers of Jesus, we have been presented with the greatest opportunity that could ever be extended to us to follow Jesus. So that over time, we are changed. Our character is changed. So that when that day comes and we see Him in all of His stunning beauty, He will set us free to do what we've always wanted to do and what we've always wanted to do matches perfectly what He wants. I want to close with some words that Jesus took from Daniel the prophet. In Matthew 13, verse 43, Jesus is quoting the prophet and he says, about that time and about what we will look like and about what our character will reflect and and what it will cause us to look like to him, it says, then the righteous That's you and me that have followed Jesus, that have been changed and transformed, whose character has been molded to be like his. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's why we sing the words in the song that's more familiar when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. It's talking about who we really are. Not what we've done, but what our character is under Christ. He'll be shining like the sun. Shining like the sun. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.